Well, I'm uh, back again, and it is uh, wonderful to be continuing our series in John's Gospel in the Signs. And we've reached the end of our seven signs. Uh, the last one, you can see the little diagrams. The last one was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and then this passage, uh, chapter 12 in John's Gospel, very much follows on from that. Uh, this uh, incredible sign is still fresh in the air, uh, and today's passage picks up on it. And we have really Mary's. Uh, reaction, uh, Lazarus's sister Mary, her response to Jesus in light of the events of this final sign. But uh, why don't we begin in prayer as we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, be with us now, be working through your spirit to show us the significance of your word. May we be moved by Mary's act of service and may you change our hearts and minds through it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our year is beginning. Uh, do you have your Kiki K year planner out, uh, looking ahead for this year? You've got all your coloured pens, uh, kind of working everything out, or are you just going to wing it for the year? Uh, different people do different things. Um, as we look ahead for the year, though, I think we want to be thinking about the, uh, the opportunities that the year presents and maybe the threats. Uh, it's always good to think in those categories, opportunities and threats, uh, although it's not always easy to work out what the, the threats are. Uh, comedian John Mulhaney has spoken about how growing up as a, as a kid watching cartoons uh, on TV, how, you know, it didn't really uh, help you prepare very well for adult life. You ended up with this distorted view about what the biggest threats in adult life were going to be. He says, uh, he says, if you watch cartoons, quicksand is the third biggest thing you have to worry about in adult life, you think. Uh, right behind real sticks of dynamite and giant anvils falling from the sky. He says, now I've gotten older, not only have I never stepped in quicksand, I've never even heard about it. I think he has a point. Falling pianos are occurring a lot less frequently than I was led to believe. Uh, and I don't even own a stick of dynamite should the occasion that I need to use one arise. Well, uh, as we turn to our passage, I think uh, it presents a clear uh, opportunity um, and a threat for our years ahead. Uh, our greatest uh, threat, perhaps our greatest danger, is actually that we fail to see the value of Jesus, that we fail to pour out our best for him, as we see in our passage. And we're reminded of this by the, the show-stopping act of Mary, uh, his follower, in what is really a, a very tender moment recorded for us in John's Gospel. So let's look at it together. Let's look at it together. I've got a few uh, points in the outline, or we can follow along on screen. Uh, firstly, let's set the scene, uh, the room and its mood. And we begin, and Jesus is a star. Uh, he's returned to Bethany, uh, which is, you know, it's where he raised Lazarus. He's returned back to there. He must have been such a star. He, the, the, the whole area must have still been a buzz. Uh, verse 2 of our passage today, verse 2 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So Jesus' talk of the town, he's raised Lazarus from the dead, and the mood would surely have been one of amazement, of, uh, of victory. And yet there was still death in the air, uh, because you know, one of the reactions of raising Lazarus to, uh, to life again um, is for the re religious establishment, the Jewish leaders, to now decide that they have no choice but to kill Jesus, and we're told that at the end of uh, chapter 11. Uh, so life for a Lazarus will mean death 
for Jesus. And death is in the air, for it is the Passover festival. Jesus is taking up his mantle as the sacrificial lamb. The lamb is preparing himself. His time had not yet come. He said a number of times, my time has not yet come. But at the end of these events, in 1223, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus' own death and resurrection to King will soon be upon them. And so uh, one commentator aptly describes this chapter as bittersweet, bittersweet, that the wonder and the hope of Lazarus return to life and yet the air of sacrificial death. But I think, um, as is often the case, few in the room would have fully appreciated all of this. Uh, as the friends gather for dinner in Jesus' honour, verse 2 says, uh, so they gave a dinner for him there, Martha was serving him, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So that's the, that's the room and the mood. Let's uh, set now turn then to this incredible act, the act and its meaning. Mary's uh, incredible uh, moment is described in just one verse. Let's read it, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound, that's about half a litre, of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his, hair, uh, his feet with her hair. And so the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. And so Mary pours about half a litre of perfume over Jesus. It would have cost around $80,000, and we'll come to the economic cost uh, in a moment. But the social cost was enormous too. For, for a woman in that uh, culture to let her hair out in public was very shameful. Uh, but then to wipe Jesus' feet with it, it was so shocking. Uh, it, you know, people in the room would have uh, been really like, uncomfortable with what was happening in front of them. It was just so over the top. And it seems to come uh, out of nowhere uh, until you realise we've actually been told a lot about Mary uh, leading up to this moment. Um, this is a painting by Vermeer of Mary and Martha with uh, Jesus uh, from that wonderful account in uh, Luke 10 of uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teachings, and Martha running around frantically trying to serve. I'm sure some of us could relate to her, you know, one thing after another. And Jesus says, Martha, calm down, just sit, rest, listen. Uh, and Mary, Mary uh, has been on this wonderful journey with Jesus. And in, uh, in the previous chapter, chapter 11, where Lazarus was raised, we're told a lot about Mary. We didn't get a lot of time to look at it uh, last week. But th- th- there is this uh, moment where Mary um, calls for Jesus to come. She says, you know, her, her brother is unwell. Uh, and then Jesus is delayed, and it seems to almost crush her uh, a little bit. Mary um, when, when Jesus eventually does come, Mary doesn't go out to meet him. Uh, he has to, Jesus has to call her uh, to come. And so Jesus does call her, and then she does come, but it's almost like she says, oh, Jesus, you've let, you've let us all down. Uh, so 11 verse 32, she says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet now in chapter 12, uh, verse 1, here is Lazarus sitting with them, alive again. Imagine. Uh, and in some measure, her act of pouring of the perfume, it reflects the journey she's gone on in her understanding of who Jesus is, what his love and mission are. We're not told much about the fragrance itself. It was uh, obviously better than a $5 corner store bottle, uh, or even better than, uh, better than Chanel Number no. 5. Uh, not that I 
have any myself. Um, but we're told the fragrance filled the room. You know, and it's tempting to get maybe Matt or Rob to run down the aisle puffing perfume just to give you an immersive experience. But I decided that was a little too dramatic. <laughs> uh, it should be said that the gift of perfume can be taken the wrong way. Uh, you know, maybe you think Mary did this because Jesus smelt. He was a man born in a stable, after all, and he was a carpenter. Maybe he was a bit smelly. Uh, but of course, Mary's act is uh, much deeper than this, and something much deeper is going on. And to set us on the right course, notice Jesus' words in verse 7. It says, She had kept it for the day of my burial. She has kept this bottle of perfume for the day of my burial, Jesus says. The bottle was used to prepare Jesus for his death. That's what's happening here. It's often called the anointing of Jesus, the anointing of Jesus, but it's actually not really correct. An, an anointing is what you do to make someone the king, and Jesus was anointed as king by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, explicitly said in, in Luke 4.18. That was where he was anointed as king. Rather, this is a preparing for uh, burial. And, you know, even today, we still have uh, the same um, similar things, you know, preparing a, a body for burial. A funeral director will, um, they dress the body up, they clean it, they, they put on makeup. Uh, that is how a body, even today, is still prepared for burial. And indeed, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did this for Jesus' body uh, after he had died. Later on, we read um, in John 19, he was uh, wrapped in linen and, and perfume and oil was put on him again. And so Mary here foreshadows this. The other theme that shines through is that of the sacrificial lamb of Jesus. Uh, he is the Passover lamb, that which had to die for the forgiveness of the people, for that their sins might be passed over. Uh, and and uh, the, new, uh, the Old Testament sets out the way that every uh, sacrifice needs to be prepared. And, you know, we had that reading from Leviticus. There is a certain way to prepare a sacrifice that it might uh, please God, that it might be an atoning sacrifice. And Jesus here is being prepared uh, for his sacrificial death by the oil and fragrances. And so this wildly expensive perfume, it points to something much bigger than what was just uh, happening in that room. It points to a spiritual reality. And so 1 Peter 3.18 uh, says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. After being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. And so the sacrificial death of Jesus was to make sinners right with God. You know, you wonder if, uh, if Mary didn't understand something of this, of, of, of Jesus's uh, death which was coming, uh, and yet his incredible innocence, he of all people, should not have been there. And as she listened at his feet, you, you can't help but wonder, what did she, what did she uh, understand? Uh, how, how was her heart overwhelmed at his innocence? And yet he was going to suffer death to bring the righteous to God. He suffered death to bring us in this room who look to Jesus to God. That is why he was there. That is why he was about to die. And so this act of Mary anointing, um, anointing the flesh pointed to a spiritual reality that in dying, Jesus would bring life. He just done it to Lazarus. He just brought life to Lazarus. But even better, he would do that uh, for all sinners, that all sinners might be saved eternally with God. But the people didn't get it, did they? 
people in the room didn't get it. The only thing that they could think about was how much that must have cost. They completely miss it. So let's thirdly, I consider the reactions and their motives. The other gospel accounts at this moment, they tell us uh, that the mood of the room was one of shock and disappointment, disapproval rather. Um, they, were, they didn't approve of what Mary had done. And it's captured here in John's gospel in Judas's words in verse 4, saying, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? His reaction is surely on some level understandable. 300 denarii was a year's wages. The equivalent in Sydney in in, in 2024 is around about, as I said, Um, $80,000. Just poured out, gone like that to soak into the ground. Wasn't that a bit of a waste? Uh, Wasn't that a little bit over the top? You know, just for example, think about how much uh, rice for the poor could have been bought with that money. I I did the maths. It could feed around 500 people for a year. That's that's what that kind of money would uh, buy in the third world. There's, There's so much good that could have been done with that money. And so surely Judas has a point. It was a lot to spend on a gesture. I mean, how much is too much? You know, you hear of people spending, I don't know, $200,000 on a wedding or these crazy events. You know, it's, it's good to do something, uh, but surely that's too much. Surely that's over the top. Or say the Prime Minister is coming for dinner. Albo, he's coming to dinner. Are you going to crack open your nice bottle of wine? What if it's an $80,000 bottle of wine? Are you going to crack it open? Or are you going to sell it on eBay? Sorry, Albo, I'm cashing that one in. You're on your own. (laughs) But it all raises the question of value. How much is too much? How much is something worth? And our passage raises the question, how much should be spent on honouring Jesus? What amount would be considered wasteful when it comes to giving Jesus our time and money? The motives in the passage are, of course, revealing. Because Judas's concern for the poor, we learn, is actually a pretense, we're told. Verse 6 says, uh, Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. He wanted to get his hands on it. And so the issue of uh, greed and materialism is uh, very much there. Judas, uh, Judas is obviously, it's a very blatant kind of corrupt, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and yet we are all, you know, we're not normally that blatant, but we are all susceptible uh, to greed, aren't we? Uh, as a slight aside, when Jesus says in verse 8, for you all have the poor with you, but you will not always have me, he's not saying, well, who cares about the poor? I'm more important. No, he's saying that um, this is a a very special moment, an opportunity to serve him. He's saying he's literally about to die. He literally won't be there for very much longer. And so this is uh, one of the last chances that people would have him physically in front of him like that. And so he's, uh, he's not decrying caring for the poor, for that's one of the ways that we serve Jesus, when we care for the poor in his name. But returning to the point... Uh, Judas would rather not spend the money on Jesus. He'd rather spend it on himself. It was a a very crude, self 
serving motivation. It's kind of a blunt force reminder to us all of the danger of being selfish with our time and money, isn't it? It's so easy to keep it for ourselves. Uh, It's so easy to make uh, arguments and excuses. What about this or that, as Judas did? In a way, uh, we control the money bag, don't we? We, In a way, we we control our own finances. No one ever really checks over our finances. In a way, we we are in control of that for ourselves. We have uh, the choice to spend it on whatever we want, for for loving uh, and serving the kingdom or on ourselves. Uh, And sadly, the money that we don't spend on uh, honoring Jesus, on his kingdom, all too often is just spent on ourselves. I don't say this to uh, make you feel guilty for enjoying nice things. They are God's good gifts. But, uh, you know, this passage causes us to search our hearts, doesn't it? We all hate wastefulness, don't we? Uh, You know, you you go to a restaurant and you see a a beautiful meal and it's just been picked out on the side and you're like, oh, what a waste. What a waste. And Judas cautions against it. But the great irony of Judas's words is that uh, he, his was the great waste of money, for he was hoarding it for himself, corrupting himself to his ultimate demise, buying things for himself that he actually wasn't going to be around to spend. Wasn't that the reality of, of how it all plays out? It was actually Mary that had used her precious resource wisely. Isn't that the great irony of our passage? He who cried waste was in fact the wasteful one. He who looked to be uh, well-measured, you imagine him saying those words, they they seem very reasonable, but in fact he was the one that was wildly out of place when it came to putting a value on serving Jesus. Uh, Well, we began uh, by talking about threats to 2024, to your year, and I have another one for you. Uh, And I was reading an article in the paper this week, uh, so you can add to your list of threats, snakes. Um, and I, I, I say snakes because, um, you know, I'm a surfer, and when people find out that I'm a surfer, they love talking about sharks, and I don't appreciate it. Uh, so this one's for the hikers in the room. I know there's a few hikers here. Uh, snakes. I was reading an interview this week with a snake catcher, um, and apparently the snakes are doing very well in Brisbane. Four people have been bitten and uh, went to hospital. They're all okay now, don't worry. Um, And I'm not going to make your skin crawl with photos or details, but the interview was uh, gold. Sean Cade from Australian Snake Catchers, uh, he he said this. He said, 95% of people are bitten either trying to catch or kill snakes. People grab a stick or a shovel and might miss, but the snake does not miss in response. (laughs) The snake does not miss. Uh, and uh, it got me thinking, like, uh, life is a bit like that. You, you kind of get one crack at life, don't you? It's a bit like a snake. It doesn't, it doesn't miss. There's only one go at it. You, you can try and get the snake, but if you miss, <laughs> it's over. You only get one crack at life. Uh, and it's so easy to dither about. Uh, we have a go, but we only get one shot at it. And Mary here, she had one priceless uh, you know, this would have been her most prized possession for sure, this uh, bottle of perfume. One very valuable possession. And she doesn't mess about. She pours it all out to honour Jesus. She, she reads the mood, the time, sees Jesus will soon be gone. And so she seizes the opportunity uh, and has this incredible act of abundant service. 
The Apostle Paul, uh, Jesus' servant, uses similar language uh, when he describes himself. He describes himself a bit like that jar of oil, of perfume, being poured out as a sacrifice in service of his king. Uh, Philippians 2, 17. It says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so Paul's life was a bit like that jar of valuable perfume, broken and poured out to serve the king and his church, that he might be glad and rejoice with them in heaven. And we are all in uh, such a position. We're all in the same position. We only have one life to serve our king. We only have one chance to pour out our lives. We have one chance to give what we have for his kingdom, and that, that is this life. And so, uh, you know, as we began, thinking about uh, the greatest threats for this year, well, uh, surely it is that we, that we don't pour ourselves out, that we don't pour ourselves out for the king, that we, that we keep, keep it for ourselves. You know, it would look so reasonable it's so easy to do, to hold back, and yet it will have been the greatest waste. Our passage shows us in Judas and Mary that our lives have the opportunity for great waste or, or great love and service. Judas wasted his money and his life, and it was all soon lost. Whereas Mary, Mary shows us the chance that we have to pour out our lives in beautiful service for the King. Why don't I ask for God's help in prayer? that we might do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, who died as a sacrifice, that we might have an eternal life of peace with you. Help us to live this new life now, pouring out what we have in service of your kingdom, in the name of our great King, Jesus. Amen.